0: Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. I'm Vivi. And this is our last ever companion episode for a season premiere of Supergirl for season six, episode one. And we're starting off with a premiere that was actually originally meant to be a finale, which definitely affected the tone.
1: We had wondered kind of how this was going to go because a premiere tends to be... Kind of like checking up on your friends after you haven't seen them in a while. Like <laughs> it's it's kind of more fun in tone. It's a little not necessarily light because sometimes Supergirl isn't, mm-hmm. but it's giving you setup and a hint of where the story is going long term. It's touching base with the characters and their relationships and reminding you as the viewer, like why you like them (laughs) and wanting you to be excited to see them again. Yeah. As opposed to
0: pushing you back into all the action of the television show, (laughs) which is what this effectively did.
1: Yeah. And then you are struggling to remember all of the plot points that you haven't seen in a year. And you're like, "Mm, okay, (laughs) Yeah. And... Finales tend to wrap
0: things up, which this episode very much did. And you could also tell in terms of it being very thematically technology and believing in people, yeah. which we talked about in our our season five wrap up episode. Whereas we have learned that this season six theme is power. And there were elements of that present, but mostly in Kara. Mm. I think because something with her character in the season finales tend to have like a little bit of an opening of a door into the next season. So Kara, we started to see the threads of power and powerlessness appear in the storytelling for her character in the episode. And we didn't get a ton of Kara content. Which was to be expected to some extent because Melissa was out on maternity leave. Right. But it did nicely set us up actually for what is coming next and, and sort of understanding what the events that transpired in this episode mean to Kara. Kara at the start of this episode sort of offers herself up to Lex as a diversion for the other characters to like save the day in the world with the understanding that she very well could die. She's like, oh we've got no other choice. (laughs) And from Miss there is always another choice. That in and of itself is interesting. (laughs) It is interesting, yes. She talks about how she's, like, come to terms with it. A pretty fast turnaround for coming to terms with your death. Well, but is it, though? Well, in terms of Kara, I suppose not. (laughs) Yeah, We've seen her quite a few other times accept the possibility that she may die or have the intention of sacrificing her life. And this sort of mindset of like, I am not expendable, but I can be a sacrifice for the greater good Mm -hmm. shows up throughout pretty much all of the seasons. For instance, even in season two, we had her frustrated with Manel when he was like, Kara, why do you have to be the person who like fights Raya maybe to the death? Why can't it be Superman? And she's like, I need you to be strong right now. Mm. And that's very much a thing that she associates with being a hero, I think. And I think it's something that the show associates with being a hero, which is something that like Ravner, mm. one of the showrunners, has talked about.
1: And that she also like when she flew into the disruption in the season three finale. Oh, to, to reverse time after everybody kind of died. And Wynn and Alex are like, please don't do this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you will be like crushed and cars like, will I? (laughs) I was like, that's a
0: risk I'm willing to take. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then we've seen her a ton of times, like, jump back into action after she almost dies or, like, kind of literally dies. Has (laughs) medically been deceased. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Like the coma in season three when... Yes. After the fight with Rain, she jumped right back into action, despite Alex being like, maybe... (laughs) chill and then again after red daughter killed her Mm -hmm. in season four eliza and alex were like you just died (laughs) (laughs) you want to process
1: that a little and she's like no (laughs) yeah she's like but i survived (laughs) she's just such a funny way glass half empty glass half full family that's (laughs) that's where they are Yes. And then there's this episode. Yeah, where the same thing basically happens. Yeah.
0: And Lena's sort of like the one odd person out who's like not used to it. She's
1: never seen this side of Kara before. Yeah. Yeah. And Alex was like weirdly calm because, you know, after the whole grass thing last season, like she's like, Kara yeah, can do like, anything. All right. She's <laughs> like, I I do kind of believe that she'll be okay anyway. Yeah.
0: Her anxiety is not quite as as high as it usually is.
1: Yeah. Which is very telling in and of itself because hmm. she is the character who is the most likely to be like, you're not confident about this and though I'm not confident about this and what if you die? <laughs> yes. And she really wasn't like that at all.
0: Yeah, she was like, I'll I'll see
1: you later. Yeah. <laughs> and pretty confident in that moment. And was making jokes and stuff. Like, she would not have done that if she thought...
0: Like, for real that she was, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, and Kara didn't do anything to kind of signal outwardly, like in season one when she gives Alex the necklace.
0: Right. Well, other than her legacy... Download. Well, yeah, but Alex didn't know that at the time. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. But it is worth, I think, exploring why Kara has this mindset. Mm, Yeah. Because she's not like, it's not like she's suicidal. No. Or like just taking dumb risks. Because she can, you know. But it's sort of this open option for her that's in her her sort of toolbox. The fact that she can, if she needs to, sacrifice herself. It's kind of on her mind.
1: Yeah. And I think that's one of the places where, as Clark alluded to in season three, where they are different in a way that he has a healthy respect for Kara car four. Hmm. Because it's one of those things, just like she's flexible in some senses on working with people she doesn't like. Right. In order to get the greatest good for the most people, Mm -hmm. she can see the utility of I am the only person capable of buying everyone time or providing this distraction or doing this one thing that will save Mm -hmm. all the people in a way that others are not maybe necessarily willing to risk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's sort of this practical
0: edge to her that we don't Mm -hmm. always see in other situations. She's quite like an idealistic person. But often when it comes to like sacrifice, she is quite practical. Like self-sacrifice or sacrificing something that she loves, she can make that decision. And there are a few things that have shaped Kara to have this mindset, which are obviously that sort of source that we talk about a lot of Kara thinking that she came to Earth to protect it. <laughs> like she says in season one, when she's about to sacrifice her life to save her for one from Myriad, her mother sent me to protect Kal-El, and now I will use my powers to protect the Earth, and if I die achieving that, I'm at peace with it. Kara thinks that she was saved from Krypton's destruction to save others. Like her prayer, which is Rao protect us so that we might protect others. That kind of mindset that she gets, I think, in some ways from that Kryptonian heritage and and her family. So the equation in her mind of like what is most important, protecting others, is the highest on the list. But then in sort of a more personal, emotional sense, I think it makes sense for Kara to maybe want to have power over it, over like when she dies and when she loses other people. Because there's sense that Kara has an expectation that she may have to sacrifice her life to save the world as opposed to dying through any sort of natural cause. Mm. And I think some of it is Kara just trying to have power over the moment that she dies or she loses everything and everyone, you know, again. Mm. And I think we could tell by the way that she acts when she makes the like decision to offer herself up to potentially die like in season 1 when she gives her like eulogy as cat <laughs> referred to yeah. it rounds to James Wynn, cat the whole gang Jean and even eventually Alex even though she sort of put it off because she didn't want to yeah but she has said I didn't say the things that needed to be said when I left Krypton and I wanted to make sure that I said them now just in case and we see that in this episode with the legacy download where she <laughs> (laughs) She has several volumes that she is planning to leave behind in the event that she does die. And I think that part of it is trying to have power over you know, her legacy, the title being fitting. Mm. Tying back again to this consciousness that Kara has around the destruction of Krypton and losing everything once unexpectedly and also not having control over her parents' (laughs) legacy and not expecting the discoveries that she made about them Mm. with the decisions that they made that were maybe not so great and and sort of tarnished the House of El legacy And she has that nice scene with Jean in season two where she's struggling with that. And he reassures her that her parents' legacy is not death
1: and destruction. It's her. Yes, which we mentioned last week, actually, as a memorable quote.
0: Um, How apt. (laughs) How apt. (laughs) But Kara, I think, takes that to heart in the sense that she needs to ensure that her own legacy lives on in a positive way. Mm, Yeah. Sometimes through maybe sacrifice. That could be an avenue for her of making a mark on the world and and ensuring that the destruction of her planet wasn't for nothing or the house of Elle, her family and her people didn't have a a positive effect on the universe. Mm. There's sort of a dual purpose for Car and planning ahead for the possibility that she may die and making her rounds or leaving a bit of legacy behind for people to grow or learn from in a positive way, in that it both sort of touches on the part of her that wants to ensure that Krypton's legacy is a positive thing. And it also touches the part in her that felt traumatized by the sudden loss of her family and planet and the inability to say proper goodbyes to them.
1: Mm. Yeah. And with regard to that, it's very notable that for as much as she's still not fully in a place where she's forgiven Lena all the way. Mm -hmm. And she says that to Alex at one point in the episode. She lets Lena say her piece regarding anything she's realized about the way their falling out has occurred and apologize. And she also makes a point to validate her own belief that she's always had that Lena is a good person Mm -hmm. and can do good and be a positive force in the world. And it's very in keeping with her idea of I need to say the things I need to say to people and that's, you know, thinking back to when she rushed to say goodbye to Astra before she died Hmm. and made the point of saying you were with me as my family not as my enemy it was very like that yes in the sense that she wants to leave something that will be a hope and an inspiration particularly in that case where they had been in not a good emotional place with each other Hmm. expecting that she won't be around to see through that development for alina but she wants to leave like the seeds of it Right. So that it'll grow without her.
0: And even consider the way that in the duet crossover with The Flash that Kara was about to die and forgave Monel. Yep. Yeah. But there's a sense of almost like a legacy in terms of her relationship with Lena and the purpose she thinks that she serves in Lena's life, mm-hmm. which is to help her to be a good person and to feel like a good person. And she makes sure to do that despite any other misgivings she may have about doing so. But yeah, we see Kara doing in these situations things which, you know, Kara being someone who has an internal locus of control and believes that she should have a significant impact on the world and likes that feeling. Mm. (laughs) These choices and the fact that she has a choice in her own mind makes her more at peace and yeah makes it easier for her to handle which then is why in this episode when kara later does not have a choice is not expecting something it has a stronger emotional blow mm. Like we see Kara throughout the whole episode have this very like nonchalant relationship with the possibility that she may die. Like you can see that she has a solemn energy when she gives the legacy download speech. And she is like not happy about it. And she, you know, hesitates to say the painful idea that she won't be around. But she also does not hesitate to make this decision in any way. To the surprise of Someone like Lena. And it was, I think, an an intentional setup for later on when we have one moment of fear, Mm. genuine fear that we see in her yeah, when she is forced into the Phantom Zone.
1: The way they structured that was very similar to what they did in the episode with the mind wipe because they spent the whole episode having Kara and Alex Mm. be really together. And we're like, and now they're going to be emotionally separated. Yes. Yeah. And that was very similar to what they did with this episode where you see Kara so at peace with her own mortality, which Mm -hmm. she kind of always is in these moments. Right. But then Lex changes the game and brings out the one thing that she's genuinely afraid of. Yeah.
0: (laughs) In a totally unexpected way.
1: Yeah. And I think the surprise
0: and, and the inability for her to see that coming in any way is probably one of the worst parts for Kara because of how harkens back to how she said, when my parents put me on that pod in Krypton, I don't think I realized what was actually happening. I didn't know that I was saying goodbye to them forever. And Kara did, you know, know that she may be saying goodbye to people forever, but she didn't know that she would still live on and be in a place that was horrible for her. And it's a different kind of separation. The idea that she had was like, maybe she'll be in Raoul's light, not in the darkness of space. Yes. (laughs) In the Phantom Zone. Kara in no way made... A decision to go there the way that she did with death, which reminds me of, of what she said to Alex after talking to the Alora hologram in season one about when Alora sent Astra to the Phantom Zone and also like abandoned Kara. She was like, I know that Astra and I were both given life sentences by my mother. We didn't have a choice. Mm, yeah. And so Kara is now in the same sort of situation that both she and Astra were before.
1: And it also ties back to Kara and her identity as Kara Zor-El versus Kara Danvers versus Supergirl of someone who is very powerful and also has these memories of being very powerless. Right. And yeah, the fear that that inspires.
0: Which is why this season being about power, this mm-hmm. this is an excellent setup for her. Sure is. <laughs> <laughs> but you had an observation regarding sort of a narrative connection that I thought was interesting.
1: Yeah. Well, so the pacing on the moment when Kara disappears into the Phantom Zone, it felt so quick right? in the moment. And, you know, for those of us who were kind of reading between the lines on the choice of Rebirth as a title and all the different things, given that they had like hinted about the Phantom Zone throughout a lot of season five and mm-hmm. who were expecting it more than Kara was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. It felt like, oh, we didn't linger on that. Enough for the emotional impact to like fully hit, but that was the part where it was very like finale energy in some ways. Mm-hmm. But as I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, this really reminded me of the way Sirius Black's death was written in the novel of Order of the Phoenix from the Harry Potter series, because it goes by really quickly. It's in the midst of this very big battle, very similar to what we see in this episode of Supergirl. And he's like confident. He thinks that they're winning. And then something happens and he falls through this veil to we don't know what's on the other side but essentially it's it's something connected to death mm-hmm. and the description in the book says as he's passing through it he has this look of mingled fear and surprise yeah and that was the part that made me think of it because of is just realization of what was about to happen and the, the mm-hmm. beat of pure terror yeah. as it was happening. And her, her retreating yeah. backwards. And the, the thing about that was that the show has used references to Harry Potter as foreshadowing several times for some of the significant and frequently traumatic turns for characters (laughs) the one that stands out the most is that they had Alex make a joke about the Weasley twins when she Mm -hmm. was talking about Colonel Haley and in season four like an episode or two before the mind wipe happened and I was like did they do that on purpose because in the end the twins are forcibly separated because that's cruel (laughs) but amazing yes and then actually because it's been so long a lot of us may have forgotten but there is a reference to the scene in Deathly Hallows right before several major characters die Mm -hmm. In 519, which ended up being the season finale that would have been right before this and kind of been putting that foreboding in your head.
0: And then Alex also says, we all still have our ears. Referencing back to the Weasley twins. When does she say that? She says that to
1: Kara when
0: she's waiting with Lena for the suit to be made. She did say that? She said, "She said we also still even... have our ears because oh, Kara was stressed.
1: <laughs> I didn't even recognize that. Oh, but that went by really fast. Mm-hmm. Well, but the other part of it that reminded me of it and why I specifically said the book, not the movie, is that. A lot of people almost missed the character death in the book because it was over a page turn. Right. It was just like two sentences and then he was gone. And this because of the pacing from the, you know, this used to be a finale. Now it's a premiere thing. Mm -hmm. It did feel like it went by kind of like that. Right. In a way that it didn't linger yet, but I'm sure it's going to (laughs) next week. (laughs) Yes. But
0: it, it sort of adds to it in some strange way. The shock and the speed. At which the event occurs.
1: Well, yeah, and it, it fits in the same way as Kara's initial shock of of seeing Krypton disappear in front of her. Mm. You know, she wasn't cognitively, she had no sense of what that was going to look like. Yeah. And then she had to sit with it as the only thing in her head. For <laughs> in, 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 unexpectedly long amount of time. Um, What what does that
0: do to a person, one might ask? (laughs) Yes. Well, I mean that takes (laughs) us to our continued point about one of the final reasons Kara is often, I think, at peace with the possibility of death and and struggles in general. She's experienced worse in the Phantom Zone. In this episode, she sort of casually mentions to Lena, well, I was stuck in the Phantom Zone replaying the destruction of my planet for nearly a decade. Bring it on. So Kara was trapped in the Phantom Zone and awake for some period of time. (laughs) And she had
1: never before really said how much of that time she was awake for. Like Right. Yeah. But she has talked about how traumatic it was for her.
0: And I think that is Sort of why, but I talked about this in the Why the World Needs Supergirl episode. Kara has quite a positive disposition right off the bat when she lands on Earth. Mm -hmm. Probably partially because she's like, oh, thank God. She's like, she has people with her. And like replaying those memories of Krypton exploding aren't the only thing that she has (laughs) to live with. And coming to Earth probably felt like an amazing development. And we see it sort of reflected in like how she immediately, when she sees Clark, In the very quick flash we have in the pilot, when he opens her pod, she's smiling. And how Alex has talked about how, despite her losses when she was even young, like right after she landed, she never let the loss diminish her light. Which I think is also just related to Kara's like resiliency and and, and personality and sort of intrinsic to who she is, but Mm. also definitely affected by the kind of perspective that she has (laughs) and, and the contrast. And one moment that I always gravitate to in terms of flashbacks with Kara is her delight in seeing the birds in the sky on the beach. And it's in sort of a context where, like, Alex is, like, super stressed for her. And Kara's like, oh, (laughs) we didn't have birds on my planet. And she's just, she delights in a very simple Earth thing Um, in a way that kind of reminded me of Marin. Oh, yes. After he left captivity and came to Earth and saw the little green plant. And Kara's like, oh, this isn't even the best part of Earth. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just wait until you discover hot chocolate. But <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that it was a bird I always find interesting. I think because the symbolism there mm. is resonant with, yeah. with birds being this very free creature and, and flying after Kara left the Phantom Zone. And this idea of freedom for Kara in being who she is and in being supergirl. It's interesting, that sort of flight energy, because we have the cultural connection of the prayer to Raoul, like, and we shall rise a fire in his hearth burning and free. Mm. And the sort of maybe first moment where Kara started to become Supergirl was when she was remembering how to fly. Yes. And sort of this thematic connection of longing for something like with wanting to embrace the fact that there are birds on this planet and the freedom after being trapped in, in that pod. And I also find that interesting because Red Daughter had this moment with like hearing birds mm, yeah. when she first started to fly. And she was a person who was very contained and cut off from the world by Lex. But going back to this idea of Kara feeling at peace with her life and even with death because she's not in the Phantom Zone, that's very much related to what she said to Win about being completely trapped and alone and... Also cut off from everything and everyone I've ever known, which is something Mm. that we see obviously happen to her here in this episode. And She talks about, you know, being stuck floating through space for so long, knowing she could never have her life back, which I think is interesting because we talk a lot about how Kara Mm. wants to have a normal life and, and that being something that she longs for because of the loss that she has experienced. And we've seen multiple occasions where Kara is pulled out of the life that she's like supposed to be living, either on Krypton or on Earth. Yeah. Like she talks about how my normal life ended the second my parents put me on that ship in the Red Faced episode where she deals with her deep source of unaddressed anger And we've actually said that this sort of fear of being pulled out of her life is probably in part why Kara doesn't like the obsidian lenses. Yeah, we talked about that last week, actually. Mm. Yeah, because she had those years spent in the Phantom Zone, apparently reliving the destruction of Krypton. She also possibly has a tendency for like maybe maladaptive daydreaming to Mm. cope with the trauma and, and wanting to have that life on Krypton. She talked about how when she first came to Earth, she fantasized about her life on Krypton and in the Black Mercy episode in season one, she had drifted back to doing that because she felt so down about her life. Mm-hmm. Maybe even in the season three opener, we have sort of daydreaming vibes, which I think was maybe the yeah, song well, that the was well, the song playing. was daydreaming, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she's had multiple, in terms of being pulled out of her life, like reality-disrupting moments that were traumatic, like the Black Mercy losing her planet again in that sense, like triggers with Psyche. Making her relive the destruction of her planet in that sense. Yeah. And then the coma that she had in season three, after her fight with Rain, where she was trapped and unable to return to her life and had to, like, accept Card to do so, and sort of symbol of her normal life, which is interesting. And so when she's experiencing these sort of terrible reality-disrupting moments or being pulled out of her life, she's not experiencing the life that she longs for with her friends and her family and as Supergirl. And interestingly, these moments where She's ripped away, even temporarily, tend to put those things in jeopardy, those elements of her life, like her relationship with Kat and her job in season one when she's occupied mm-hmm. by the Black Mercy and Jean has to step in. Obviously, like, the safety of her super friends, you know, when she's trapped in the coma in season three. But also, like, Jean makes a point to impersonate her again in order to maintain her relationship with Lena so that they're on good terms. And now she has this, like, budding relationship with William and he has no idea that she's Supergirl and has no idea why she's not there anymore and feels like she doesn't care about him because she didn't, like, say that she was leaving when they had been sort of developing a kind of relationship and were getting to a place where they would start to, like, share things like that. Yeah. So we see Carl once again have to grapple with the possibility of losing her whole life and, in a way, her whole world Mm -hmm. again, even if it's sort of safe without her. Yes.
1: Well, and that'll be harder this time because, like she said, she didn't know what she was walking into Mm -hmm. as a 13-year-old girl. It just happened. But now she knows exactly what that is and that makes it scarier. I mean, that is a part of aging. That is why you see people tend to become a little bit more risk averse Mm -hmm. as they age because you understand the trade-offs more. And the things that will hurt and you want to protect yourself from that in a way that you didn't know when you just barged in and you'd never done it before. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So that was Cars' headspace and, and a little bit of what we know about her history like leading into this situation where she will be in the phantom zone in a place that will be probably quite terrible for her. Just so that we know what it means for her to be there. But now let's talk about some of the other characters like Alex, who had some interesting
1: little developments this episode. She did. Yeah. Alex's stuff was the part that felt the most like taped in, <laughs> like taped together. <laughs> um, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I think Kyler had said or someone had said she hadn't finished filming Right. all of the things before they broke for the pandemic shutdown. So. Yeah. So they had to write around it. And they had to, yeah, there were some spots where she definitely ADR'd some dialogue and then her back was to everyone. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple spots where you could tell there was someone doing like stand-ins for her from the back mm-hmm. to kind of get through some scenes. But yeah, these are things that like sort of regularly happen in shows. But when something big like
0: this happens and they have to rely on that those tricks heavily, it, yeah, it, 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 you can start to tell.
1: Yeah. And it made sometimes some of her emotional beats with regard to Kara seem like a little bit off from what we might have expected but she had this absolutely lovely arc of being an honorary Martian in this episode in a way that it was really nice to see like really explicitly Mm -hmm. because it's been there subtextually since the very beginning of the series and like in this moment of her kind of coming into her own as a person and as the kind of hero that she thinks she wants to be. It's very linked to her relationship with Jean in a way that was kind of awesome. Mm -hmm. We find out that Alex actually does have a superhero name and an identity. (laughs) Yes, And that was a place where like I loved the scene for what it was, but it also felt like the characters were continuing a conversation that we didn't see. Mm. And they did, you could kind of tell in episode 519 that some of Alex's stuff was like they were borrowing things from other scenes and like making them work. So it seems like there were some just like pieces to her hero's journey, like emergence, that maybe had to get shifted around a little bit with regard to coming up with the name and the reason for it and everything. Yeah. But as you pointed out, the conversation that she has with Jean in the tower kind of at the end of the episode had some very nice season one vibes to it in terms of hmm. the touchstone of their relationship. Yeah. And it also,
0: I think, for Alex in terms of her personal arc, mm. the very beginnings of it, it was very, there's Supergirl and then there's me. <laughs> yeah. I'm Supergirl's sister and I can't do the things that she can do, like physically. <laughs> and Alex's perfectionism and, and wanting to feel like she is as valuable as of a person and is as good as supergirl and even that sort of connection that she had with jean in season one where he was a figure for her of reassurance about that like in the pilot episode him being like yeah i looked at you because of your connection to this alien which we find out later on is not actually true because it was jeremiah who directed him toward them but he says but you're here because of you and your accomplishments. And in this season, in this episode, he says to Alex when she is having doubts and anxieties about Kara not being around to protect people mm-hmm. in that sort of role that she tends to serve. And he says, you are every part of hero
1: as she is. Yeah. And that was almost a little reminiscent of Eliza's You've Always Been My Supergirl in some ways, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, it was. Which was very sweet. Both of their, their parent energy. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that was really cool about it was that it was a nice reveal of Jean opening up more about his life on Mars in a way he really doesn't a lot. Mm. But specifically talking about what it was like when he was the Martian Manhunter, which was an identity that he really struggled to accept again in himself until very late in season 4 mm. And figuring out kind of who he is on Earth and who he wants to be. Yeah. And the fact that he associates so much of his own emergence on Earth with the Danvers sisters and specifically with Alex as kind of, you know, that person who's he's kind of been around the most. Mm -hmm. It was really interesting to see him say, like, you know, you really remind me of this person who played a similar role in my life before. (laughs) And this is very fitting for the kind of person that you are. Yeah. Yeah, Kind of similar to how sometimes Alex is that bridge for Kara between like old life and new life, linking his past on Mars to his present life and his family on Earth through her was really cool the way they did that. That's nice.
0: Yeah. And he also did it, you know, in a way that is reflective of his understanding of who Alex is as a person Mm -hmm. and something that he relates to in Alex, that that sort of protective instinct that is the source of their heroism, where Kara, you know, she's very like... I must be the symbol and I must protect the earth. And Jean and Alex are like, I have things that I really care about <laughs> in yeah. my life that I want to preserve and I and I want to make the world a better place for them. And then that sort of extends to also wanting yeah. to
1: be that kind of hero that protects the whole world. Yeah. Kara's kind of comes from a big like, here are my principles and with that I will protect <laughs> and defend the people. And Jean and Alex are much more of like an inward out
0: like these are my people yeah. and
1: I'm going to make the world better for them <laughs> like <laughs> which makes them kind of on the same wavelength in a lot of ways. He yes. where
0: car is the like cute odd one out <laughs> <laughs> with them being sort of buddies.
1: Well yeah and it's what makes like a good balance between all of them because their goals at the end of the day are mostly very similar mm-hmm. but their ways of getting there are different enough that they push each other to grow and and yeah. kind of challenge each other in good ways. That's nice, yeah.
0: And the name
1: that he gives her which yes is
0: sentinel is quite reflective of that that sort of protecting and and defending energy that alex has which is why i was like because we had we had a whole year to think about what <laughs> <laughs> names yeah. would be good for alex as a vigilante and we liked like bird related things but
1: <laughs> uh, that
0: i <eye> make up man <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes
0: but i also i kept coming back to defender or something yeah. along those lines which somebody's got to have that name already <laughs> yeah. like it, it wasn't quite right so i really enjoy sentinel for that same sort of energy and it also has a sort of stoicism and, and yeah patience to it that i think yes is reflective of alex and also something that alex values and has to try to come
1: back to in
0: moments mm-hmm. of like anxiety
1: Yeah. Well, and we have talked about this. I think we might have even talked about it on the podcast before, but John makes this kind of little tongue-in-cheek remark to Kara during the mind wipe portion of season four about like protecting you is in alex's dna hmm. which is a little bit of a meta joke because like the character of alex was created for the show supergirl um and that is her <laughs> purpose cute. like i mean not like that's her purpose in life but like that's her like that's her biggest kind of motivating thing but also the name alexandra means a protector or a defender so mm-hmm. it literally is baked into the character at every <laughs> level yes as the epitome of not Lex. <laughs> well, and the other thing, this will tie into the next piece of Alex as a surrogate Martian, was when I was double checking the meaning of the name, it explained that the feminine version specifically was derived from like a name for Hera, the main Greek goddess, and that it had a meaning of the one who guards the warriors, mm. which is nice. very much what Alex does. <laughs> Perfect. But it's also very relevant to the fact that her weapon is called the Hand of the Soldier. Um, <laughs> also good. Valid. especially because we always joke like alexander hamilton like the right hand man thing it's just very funny <laughs> then that her weapon is like is. a hand is. that is a supporting thing
0: mm, yeah and in this episode we saw
1: alex at last master the
0: hand of the soldier
1: i know she'd been working so hard i really swear that jean did that as some kind of like sneaky like therapy <laughs> 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 to force her to understand her own in herself, mm. because she had the hardest time with it for a while. And, you know, Kara kind of gave her that little sassy, like, well, <laughs> it's being stubborn because you're stubborn kind of thing. <laughs> and, you know, within the show that likes to make things that are struggles go away pretty quickly, it took her a fairly significant amount of time mm-hmm. to really get the hang of it. Yeah. We think there was probably a, a
0: scene deleted in yeah. the last episode that established that she mastered it with John, and probably she also got her name and chose her suit. Yeah.
1: But Alex, in this episode we see, has finally gotten the hang of how to use it in real life instead of in the VR. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing was the ways that she is using it. Like, yes, there were some things that were like conveniences to move the plot <laughs> along. But like, you know what? They wanted to get season five done and be on season six. So that's OK. <laughs> yeah, we forgive them. <laughs> But the things that she was doing were really building on her expertise and her specific skill sets as a character. Like she turned it into something that she used from medical purposes to help Rainey and also that you know builds on her body of knowledge as an expert in different kinds of like alien medical things Mm -hmm. you see her really using some of her DEO skills and incorporating that we also see her ability to contingency plan (laughs) (laughs) using all of her weaponry when she and Kara at the end kind of make a backup to the backup to take down Lex Mm -hmm. and the other thing with Alex and her ties to the Martians is that that whole thing with her and Kara at the end is completely nonverbal in a way that I joked was like the mind reading that the Martians mm-hmm. are very good at mm. and also ties back to what we talked about last time with the idea that Car and Alex as siblings just know each other so well that they yeah. can kind of predict each other. And we saw that similarly with... <laughs> Another set of siblings in this episode, um, (laughs) which we'll talk about separately. Yes. Alex and Carr, they were sort of a fun, like,
0: pinnacle of believing in each other and being connected and knowing what each other is thinking. Yeah. In this episode, where Lena and Brainy (laughs) are reflecting upon how they maybe don't know Lex all the time, but Lena in this episode actually. Ends up being able to predict his actions. And then also, even like Jean and Magan mm. starting to make that difficult decision of like letting each other in. Yeah. On that
1: kind of level, on a bigger level, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Magan, actually, there was a nice continuation of this relationship that Alex has had with Magan since she was introduced in season two that again kind of reinforces that like Martian connection. Mm hmm. Because so when Alex and Magan initially meet, Magan is the only alien who's like willing to talk to Alex because she's like throwing people around the bar and being really aggressive. <laughs> and then again, she supports Alex immediately when she says Jean needs help. She stays with Alex after she's like freed when the white Martian like takes her prisoner mm-hmm. and impersonates her. And Alex is like visibly way more messed up than when. After the fact, um, because the Martian was kind of like pushing more into her head. Right. And we see them in this episode. You know, Magan is the one who flies Alex in because she's the Mm -hmm. only one of the people in the squad who isn't an alien. (laughs) And we see when Alex starts to be affected by the the poison in the Aramagon is the one who gets her out and kind of keeps an eye on her. Yeah. So that was like another nice kind of textual support for this idea that we are supposed to be getting that like this is a big part of Alex's family and and who Mm -hmm. she is in its own way. And it's also extra nice because then Alex is the one who's encouraging Jeanne Magna, and she's like, "I set you up.
0: Like, <laughs> you need to see where this goes."
1: Like, she's a little proud of herself for that.
0: Yeah. But let's talk about the final member of the main Supergirl trio, Jean Martian Extraordinaire. He wrapped up sort of his his trust arc from season five in this episode, mm, which is yeah. one of the reasons this has very season finale energy is because of all the themes. But in season five, like a sort of a recap, he let Malefic into his mind to see his intentions and, and repair that relationship despite the fear that he had that Malefic would like take advantage of that and hurt him instead. Mm-hmm. But we have seen... In season five and now in this episode, like, what happens when it's someone who loves him already and that he is close with, which is kind of a more vulnerable even decision to make. In this episode, he's afraid to show parts of himself to Megan that he isn't proud of. And he says, like, she'll see everything about me, memories of my daughter, my wife, every violent thought I've ever had about white Martians, which she is, you know, a Mm. white Martian. (laughs) Yeah. And she would know things about me that I would never choose to share. Which is kind of interesting thematically with Jean and and his mind reading and the mm, yeah morality and and consent and that reminded me of the way that he phrased that like he said every violent thought I've ever had Red K Kara said. Every bad thought I've ever had, it just came Mm. to the surface, you know, against her will. But in this case, of course, Jean is making a decision (laughs) to do that to save people. Yeah. Even if he would rather not. And him coming from that place of wariness, of sharing those parts of himself, has that sort of, Alex, you can't take that back. Energy, yes, <laughs> related to her coming out and in other situations with
1: her as well, and well,
0: and with Kara revealing things about herself as an alien too, right? Because that's what she's talking. Because that is the original quip. But for John, in season five, we also saw him coming back to that relationship he has with Alex. He was afraid for Alex to find out what he had done to Malefic mm. because he was quite ashamed and like. Devastated to learn that decision that he made. And so much so that he believed that the version of Alex who was actually malefic trying to hurt him was the real her. Uh- yeah, like that Didn't, she would ever say anything that <laughs> yeah, intentionally was quite, mean to him. Right. Yeah. When she was like, he was some bad guy, referring to Malefic, that you created coming after your family. And again, you just stood there and you let us suffer the consequences, which sort of interestingly ties into that
1: shared value that they both have of protecting their family. Mm, well, and it also ties into Jean's whole internal dilemma in season four that he gets pushed out of after the mind wipe happens of acting or not acting. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well it all ties in together because yeah. Jean is coming from this place of like, how are my decisions affecting my loved ones? And how is who I am affecting yeah. my loved ones? Like when the final blow that like fake Alex says to Jean is mm-hmm. Malefic isn't the monster here, Jean. You are. Mm. Yeah. And that's what makes him sort of fall apart. Which she would
1: never say. Yeah.
0: <laughs> never in a million years. Alex, speak to her father that way? Never. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And which reminds me of Jean in season two and becoming a white Martian, mm. like physically turning into a white Martian. And, and at the same time, he's having these like flashes of his, his family who died in the in the green Martian genocide. He says, in a fight with like Henshaw, when he finally fully
1: turns into a white Martian, but with like green skin. I am a monster. <laughs> mm. Well, and that connects then to him and the thoughts that he doesn't want Magan to see about yeah. you know, her identity as a white Martian. Yeah.
0: Well, and in many cases, I think it has to do with john thinking that the real monster is him, that yeah. he is like the white Martians who killed his family because Mm. he wasn't able to save them and because he like left them behind or left Mars behind. Yeah. Survivor's guilt. And inside of Jean, it turns into a sense of like uh, monstrosity Mm. (laughs) that he fears within himself. And it's interesting with regard to how that connects to his need to protect his family, because we see it show up in maybe ways that are not actually good for him, Mm. like In the same episode where Malefic impersonated Alex, Alex was preparing this, like, lethal weapon to use against Malefic because she was in this quite anxious and and upset state regarding the possibility of losing Kelly and her dying because of Malefic. and. While Jean disagreed with the decision, he said, you do what you need to do to feel safe. And I think that came less from just like a respect standpoint than a, I have to let her do this because I'm responsible. Or like her anxieties come out and he feels the need to protect her because that is the most important thing to him, despite him having sort of this arc about what morality means to him he acquiesces to her in a small way because he does also pursue the other options but this ties into jean's what i think is his worst fear which is that his faults and his failures will ultimately be the death of those he loves Mm -hmm. and that those he thinks he is supposed to protect and in this episode we see it come out and how he says what if subconsciously my apprehensions derail us and he says, I could kill both of us about Magan, which reminds me of like his vision in season four in *O oh Brother, We're Out Thou, when he sees like a zombie version of Kara come to haunt him. And this is when Manchester Black is trying to hurt him and affect his mind. And zombie Kara says that he just sat there while they came for us, you know, making that sort of connection to Jean's family that he lost and the family he wasn't able to save and the idea that that will not happen to the new family that he has made on Earth. Tying into this idea that Jean sort of failed to protect his his Martian family despite being what he sees as like this protector and he carries that guilt of escaping and, and his arc is about living honorably, mm. like being the paragon of honor and also accepting who he is, and accepting the truth of who he is inside and out, and and without that shame and guilt and sense that he is a monster, and so in this episode, sharing himself entirely <laughs> with Megan and like synchronizing mm-hmm. their thoughts to the point that they like speak together at the same time, is yeah. a really brave thing for Jean, and and that I think you know being the thing that actually saves the day, saves his loved ones, is important and the earth <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> well
1: for jean specifically his yeah but ones. it's specifically the people he cares about yeah
0: yeah and this moment of like we talk about narratives a lot this fights this narrative in his mind that who he truly is will hurt the people that he loves because embracing who he truly is in this moment actually makes them stronger and protects everyone it does Tying into the theme of stronger together but then an observation you had actually propelled this thought for me, mm. relating to Jean and and possible struggles for him moving forward, and also related to season five, mm. because Malefic created the Phantom Zone projector in season five specifically to hurt Jean, like indirectly, yeah, because Jean sent Malefic to the Phantom Zone initially, and Jean sort of ends up grappling with his own use of the Phantom Zone, kind of in the same way that like Allura had to go through with sending people to Fort Roz. Mm. Yeah. And your observation was about Jean's face when Kara was sent to the Phantom Zone.
1: Yes, he had the exact same like devastated look in his eyes mm-hmm. that we see in his first explanation of what happened to his family during the genocide on Mars yeah. where he's being pulled away from them and they are disappearing from him forever. Right.
0: And also it reminds me of when Manchester Black forced him to watch his family die again, and his face sort of reaching toward the vision. Yeah. That kind of, like, lost and, and like, grief-stricken, like... Despair. (laughs) Shock. Yeah. Yeah. Which is I find interesting, not just because of the emotional depth there, which is great, but also because of the connection to the Phantom Zone and how he, in some ways, is responsible for that Phantom Zone projector being there. And Kara being sent to the Phantom Zone twice in kind of a roundabout way because of her biological parents, mm. Allura and zor and then also this father figure in in Jean, which is not something that he expresses feeling like guilt about explicitly, but I would not be surprised if... It came up or was, you know, underneath the surface for him. Or
1: if other people bring it up in their anger and sadness. (sighs) Just saying Alex is mean when she's upset. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So in terms of when we laid out the order of the characters, something about your description of Jean and his perception of his own internal world And feeling like sometimes there is an inherent monstrosity or Mm. like a badness there that is causing all these other things to happen to his loved ones. Reminded me of Lena kind of has this issue, too, in a different way. Mm. Yeah, in a different way, especially the ways that she
0: copes with the thoughts.
1: Yeah, definitely. But she is a character who does struggle similarly with her own internal sense of am I a good person? Am I a bad person? Because of trauma. Mm. So. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Which takes us to Lena in this episode. Yeah. We
0: talked a little bit before about how Kara had sort of through trying to have kind of a peaceful exit and leave a a legacy of positivity and and a positive mark on people's lives. Mm. She said to Lena like multiple times how she believed in her and like, you know, (laughs) the only person I would trust in the galaxy to handle Myriad. But another sort of aspect of their relationship that was interesting was the way that Kara, like as much as she is very much thinking about how Lena will feel when Kara's gone, she also has a moment where she like shares a genuine vulnerable thing Uh, and a quite a big (laughs) vulnerable thing she says it in a very nonchalant way (laughs) yeah which is the point about her being trapped in the phantom zone reliving the destruction of her planet for nearly a decade a concerningly long amount of time (laughs) (laughs) yes and that was definitely like an obvious like setting up the phantom zone entrance later on yes but it's also such an interesting moment because of the size of the confession Mm, after years of like either hiding her own feelings especially around like trauma because it's related to being an alien and being supergirl and being cars or l or just prioritizing lena's feelings and the only times that she really shares parts of herself are for the purpose of giving wisdom to lena
1: yeah or making lena like feel better or right and this does that
0: Too like where she's sort of yeah she's sort of trying to
1: be reassuring but in a way where you're like that just opened up more questions than it closed and now i'm more concerned yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) precisely (laughs) but it also it strikes me as like cara
0: being like oh i can tell her things that i want to tell her now yeah and maybe taking advantage of being able to say the things that she wants to say as opposed to just things that she needs to say And it's something that, like, it's possible that she hasn't even talked to Alex about. Mm, Yeah. Even given Alex's reaction not being, like, intense, horrified concern about Kara, it's sort of like, I need my sister. Like, when are we going to get her back? And having, like, some hope that they will find a solution versus maybe the understanding that that will be extremely traumatic for Kara to return to the Phantom Zone. Mm. Because we don't know that she has ever said to Alex... Specifically, I was awake during that time and it was horrible because she said that to win before. Yeah, in early season three. So that's sort of an interesting development in terms of Kara's side of things with Lena. For Lena, it was fun to see her reaction to Kara and Alex and their relationship and being a part of the team in a real way for the first time in this episode. Like in the season five finale, Lena had these sort of like interested looks when Alex and Kara were like bonding or, or relying on each other emotionally. Likely as sort of a subtext of like, I don't have this with my brother. This is what families do. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah. And like sort of longing for those positive Relationships where, like, yeah, you
1: get to share your emotional world with somebody and they rely upon you as well. And they're not going to stab you in the back and emotionally (laughs) devastate you forever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in theory. (laughs) Intentionally. One of the other things that we see in the narrative in terms of how it's blocked and shot, and this has been happening a lot more since kind of season four onward, is we often will get shots of Alex and Lena reacting to Kara that mirror each other Hmm. in a way that both reflects that they are kind of similar in a lot of ways, but also reflects both their belief in Kara and the idea that we're supposed to understand that it's similar, even when Lena's saying it isn't. (laughs) But also, too, that their relationships to her are similar in a lot of ways, like in the level of like Lena is a friend on the same kind of level as Alex. And Kara's described Lena kind of as like being like another sister in some ways in season three. Yeah.
0: And those shots of Lena reacting along with Alex go a long way in terms of establishing Lena as someone who cares about the
1: group. Well, and also as someone who eventually definitely will fit into the group. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yes. And the thing that really sealed this for me was Lena's punching Lex when he starts explicitly not only threatening Kara's identity, but specifically the rest of her family and pointing out mm. how vulnerable they are. And Lena snapping and punching him in the face was almost exactly the same as in season four when Colonel Haley is like, well, I own you now. Kara mm. Danvers' life is over. And she starts listing all these things and Alex punches her in the face. Like, <laughs> yeah. And so it was also then really funny to see Lena turn, realize Alex is there and be like, oh, did you want to <laughs> do that? Like, yeah, Alex does this yeah. often. Like, um,
0: <laughs> Yeah. And that sort of note of caring about Kara and then also the group which is an Alex energy thing, mm-hmm. comes out in Lena when she talks to Car like, when Lex comes, you're going to want to take the higher path, but you know him, he plays dirty, mean, maximizing the pain wherever he can. It's sort of dissuading her from giving him a hope speech, <laughs> which is comparable to when Alex in season three was super concerned about Kara going to fight Rain and said, I know that you've been struggling for the past few months and I've been trying to get you to embrace your humanity, but forget that, be cold. <laughs> <Right>? Yeah. <laughs> She wanted Kara to be self-protective and maybe prioritize that more than some of her other values of being compassionate toward the the villain character. And that's interesting because Lena and Alex both play sort of similar roles in Kara's life in terms of being the cynic to Kara's optimist mm-hmm. in, in different ways. And I also find that interesting for Lena as a character in how she has been trying to just find out who she is and who she's supposed to be in the world in a positive way. And she's looked to Kara and Supergirl specifically as this model of heroism and caring about the world and trying to fix the world. Whereas the thing that she has been missing maybe is like a tendency to protect and and care for the people around her and like care about in a direct empathetic way, the people who are supposed to be part of her unit, which is something that is a very Alex thing. Yes. So it'll be interesting to see Alex play maybe even like a positive role model role in Lena's life. Alex just adopting siblings everywhere. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it'll also be interesting to see what they do with Myriad.
1: (laughs) yeah they
0: <laughs> talk about it more because lena in the last episode
1: you know well and to go back to kind of that connection almost in some ways between lena and jean like that oh, i just erased their memories of Kara's identity <laughs> it was literally what jean tried to do in season four to prevent the mind wipe storyline and then it mm-hmm. backfired so right we'll have to see what happens with this see what happens yes interesting <laughs> off the books use of myriad <laughs> But kind of piggybacking on what I talked about last week when we got the question of, you know, characters you're proud of. And, and I said, I want to be at a point where I'm proud of Lena, but she's not there yet. She did demonstrate some growth, <laughs> which I mentioned noticing in the teaser last week. And I didn't want to spoil it. When she punches Lex and then immediately looks over and then recognizes that there were other people in the room. Who had mm-hmm. feelings, mm-hmm. and that those feelings might have been more important than hers. Like that was that was progress. Um, <laughs> yeah, like it really was. She think like, she acts before she thinks about that, but as soon as she realizes it, energy, she does apologize, and she's mm-hmm. like, "Oh, I should have thought of that." So she's learning. <laughs> like it's coming. <laughs> but the important thing there to understand with Lena, and we did see it again in this episode, and I'll explain in a minute, is that she tends to apologize through action Mm -hmm. and she will very rarely say it outright and that that is tied to her childhood and kind of the way that she learned to respond when you were receiving criticism or feedback or you made a mistake right like go back even all the way to her being very very angry at Kara as Supergirl about the the kryptonite thing. She's very convinced that she's in the right, doing what she's doing. But as once she learns exactly how much it is harmful to Kara, she doesn't ever say I've changed my mind. She doesn't ever apologize, but she does go all in to <laughs> come up with a way to protect Kara from unintentional harm. Right, and that's how Lena apologizes for things. Right,
0: which in some cases. ...is effective because the emotional aspect of it, like, you are demonstrating that you care about this thing. But in some cases, like with the kryptonite suit, the thing needs to be said. Yes. (laughs) The emotional resonance of the action is not quite enough. There needs to be recognition that, like, oh, you actually do care that this is, like, torture for me.
1: Yeah. Well, and the piece where it's missing, and that's where the, the power theme for season six could be interesting... Is like Lena gets okay, I did something that is hurtful to you personally, but there isn't still the full recognition of I acted in a position of social power and did a mm. thing that is harmful to you, like as a member of a minority group and I shouldn't <laughs> yeah. have done it. Like right. right. <laughs> but, you know, part of that is her internal thinking that, you know, acknowledging a mistake will bring further abuse to me. Mm. So I can't do it.
0: It's entirely defensive.
1: Yeah, it is. It's entirely a protective thing. And so it'll hopefully, given that we we did get some hints of setup that all of the characters are going to be like breaking open emotionally in different ways. <laughs> Little Easter eggs. Yeah. She might make some progress on that one. And the other kind of hint of Lena's, she's brooded long enough on this to realize the truth of a lot of the things Kara has been trying to tell her for a long time is that she finally gets that sometimes people can be angry at you and still care about you. Mm. in a good way yeah she attempts to put that to good effect in the end of the episode after they realize that Kara is gone she actually you know she recognizes that this is going to be very upsetting to Alex and attempts to console her in like a way that made me think (laughs) that Lena's brain was like well what would Kara do in this situation because she's like (laughs) I'll hug you and it was very awkward and it just made me think of season two where Lena's like I'm just trying to be more like Supergirl in my own way and I'm like (laughs) good that's a good framework Um, (laughs) that is good yes but it's also like one more of those where lena you know she had that moment where she kind of is like longingly looking at like cara and alex enjoying each other's (laughs) company and then she has a similar moment where she she comes in and sees like jean giving alex this cute consolation at the end of the episode Hmm. and so she's like she's trying to figure out how to be a member of the family how do (laughs) i fit in but she doesn't quite know how (laughs) yeah and she is she is attempting to respect the space yeah, and she's trying to communicate in the ways that these people communicate to each other. Yeah. You know, which is good. Like, she's she's recognizing that there are other ways to live um, and she's yes. trying them out. Like, that's, that's good. We enjoy that for her, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. One thing that'll be interesting is in this season, because as you mentioned, they're grappling with the power and the power that each of the characters has on other people. Lena now not only has to, like, protect people that she loves like she made those decisions with like killing lex Mm -hmm. and and in other situations like acting to have james's charges dropped in season three against his will Mm, yeah she now has to like worry about people's opinions about what she
1: does to protect them which is new and different for her different
0: yeah like as we can see she brings myriad to jean and alex and is like Explicitly says and it's sort of like a will she won't she <laughs> moment yeah. of will she say that she did the thing and she does. Yeah. Admits that she erased the memory of Kara's identity and Lex and Lillian's brains.
1: Yeah. And it was a moment of her knowing she did something that she probably really shouldn't have done, or at least mm. independently, but it was also her demonstrating, again, going back to like the gestures thing of like she gets now right how serious it is and how dangerous mm. it is. And like we've talked about with Jean, it's it's A scary thing
0: (laughs) (laughs) to, like, let people in when you are doubtful of, like, what their opinions will be about what they find. Yeah. So maybe Jean can help her.
1: Yeah. Well, and she was ready to take that risk that they would be like, I can't believe you did that. Yeah. And that is the key. Yeah. Which is a good sign. <laughs> yes. And then there's the rest of the Luthers, who, um, as much as I really enjoyed them in this episode, I'm I'm ready for them to go. Ready <laughs> um, to move on. I'm, I'm ready for that loop of season five to be over. But it looks like
0: Alex will be around for a little bit.
1: Yeah, at least for the front part, first couple episodes. Which uh, it's so unfortunate because, like, I love John Cryer in this role, and I love Brenda Strong in her role, and they were delightful together. But it's enough of the Luthers already.
0: Like, mm-hmm. There's just so on. much other content yeah. that
1: we love about the show that yeah. we'd rather, you know, turn our attention to. We would to like love. that to take up more space. Yes. But so one of the things that was kind of interesting in in this episode with the Luthers was, number one, we saw Shelly Island again from season four. Mm-hmm. And that Lex is still using his space where he was planning to, like, suck all the powers out of Red Daughter and all the other aliens. And that's what he uses mm-hmm. to steal all the powers from Leviathan Yeah, But he's having Lillian help him. See, he's sort of learning the concept of Stronger (laughs) Together in a very (laughs) weird way. Lillian's like the weird one exception. Yes. (laughs) Because his mother. Yeah. And so we see her kind of doing all the the legwork on the science-y part of it, much like her very first introduction in season two where she's doing the bioengineering at Cadmus. Mm -hmm. But she doesn't do that in this version of the post-crisis world, even though she clearly still has the expertise and the knowledge to do it. And so she seems a little bit taken aback when Lex emerges and he's got this agenda to, like, kill all the (laughs) non-believers. And she's like, "Uh, the what now? The Um, what now? Yeah, her face
0: (laughs) when he said that was excellent. Thank you, Brenda.
1: I told you it reminded me so much of like Rhea's condescension to Monel in season two when they arrive (laughs) and they're like, this is the life you're living and you don't (gasps) want to give it up. (laughs) Yes. So I was a little bit curious if we're going to eventually see her have a, oh my God. Why did I abet this kind of moment? The way mm. Lena has pulled away from Lex entirely. Who knows? Um. <laughs>
0: <laughs> to say, well, I mean, I don't think, I don't think it'll happen in any sort of emotional,
1: no, regret sense. No, I don't think that either. But uh, pragmatically, in she a might, tactical yeah. sense, yes, yes,
0: I think. And in this world, it is interesting to see her. It seems like maybe she had like a little bit better of a relationship with Lena. So that is an interesting dynamic. We'll see. I I think Lillian is willing to revert to
1: the other sibling when when one lets her down. Well, and it's also interesting because she was, you know, she's in on the secret that there was a reset because of Crisis. And I think she's like a little bit disappointed with this version of Lex. Like, Yeah, he's super emotional. He's obsessed with Kryptonians. But it was just very interesting to see that she's like on the surface being supportive of him because she doesn't want him to make her poof into nothingness. But underneath, there's this tone of very passive aggressive, like, you're doing what now? This is (laughs) absurd that Brenda just did really nicely. And it was fun to watch. And also, Lex had this vibe in his line delivery of really just being all out like the Wicked Witch from The Wizard of Oz. He's like, <laughs> I'll get that little Kryptonian and all her friends. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, with the evil laugh. And his mom yeah. in the background is just like, what?
0: What is Are happening? you doing? <laughs> yeah.
1: The other thing that was neat to see in this episode, you know, we talked a little bit about Lena kind of being like, let me in at the the Danvers family <laughs> interactions. <laughs> we see some nice kind of foil action happening with Lillian and Lex in contrast to the Danvers family dynamic. Mm-hmm because Lex is talking about his plans for world domination and who's all going to die. And Lillian is like, you better save your sister. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of just actually smacks him to, to motivate him to do it because Lex is not interested and just sees Lena no. as a threat. And, you know, it kind of is similar to Eliza's, you know, take care of your sister vibe, but <laughs> but not at all. But um, evil. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. villain energy. Where, where Alex would just be like, oh, well, duh, I will. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. The other one that was really funny is Lex with this kind of scornful, well, I'm a godmother, like nothing can happen to me, (laughs) took me right back to Kara at the breakfast table in the Midvale flashback being like, I'm literally bulletproof. I don't need to do these Mm -hmm. dumb human things.
0: It is interesting that comparison, though, because you and I have talked about before how Kara technically has the ability to just like leave. Yeah. And, you know, the power that she has to just She doesn't have to listen to Eliza. No. (laughs) But she does anyway. And Lex in this episode, he is totally willing to kill people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like if they get in his way. And he, for some reason, still wants her on his side, either because she's formidable. And Mm -hmm. like maybe he's a little afraid of her or because he wants like a sort of narcissistic supply of like Mm -hmm. somebody who like my mother who thinks that I am the epitome of mankind, you know, even though she's judgmental, like he still wants the possibility of that validation.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, and, you know, knowing that the Lex and kind of that caricature is also meant to reflect some real life narcissists who we've been able to put Mm -hmm. out of our brain space for a while. There's also a profound loneliness and a disconnect in there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you you look at his, like, main plot. It's to literally make everyone in the world love him. Yeah. Like, how... Because like, he knows deep down that no one really does. He puts on this front of, like... And he believes it himself of, like, I am, like, so much higher than you and better than you. But there's this profound, like, yearning for just everyone has to love me. Or it's unacceptable. Like, <laughs> they have to go. And there's that externalization. Like, he doesn't, like, oh, I'm so sad. It's about them. They have to change.
1: Yeah, which is why I honestly cackled a little bit when he got offended that Kara didn't try to talk him out of doing any of the things he was doing he's like what no hope speech and she's like no that's what you want like um, it's like no and so ultimately you know he he wins in the sense that he achieves his objective which is to kill her but she still retains power in that situation because she doesn't give him the satisfaction of getting what he wanted
0: yeah and now to turn to a character who does not have issues with narcissism, <laughs> and in fact has had some issues with overcoming self doubt. We have Nia, Nia Nal, aka Dreamer, as she so. Uh, and don't get it wrong. Don't get it wrong, Lillian. Her arc since we've known her in the series has been about overcoming her doubts about like whether or not she belongs in the position that she is mm-hmm. or if she deserves it. sort of a like an imposter syndrome situation. And in this episode we actually see her very much come into her own as a hero and on par with the other more experienced heroes in the in the hero squad.
1: Yes and the alien heroes specifically. Because she gets to do a lot of things with them. Yeah. And she does a lot of quite important
0: plot things. Mm-hmm. And and we see her use her powers in a more enhanced way or, or in a way that is like, oh, she really gets them now. Like with her astral projection, which she had struggled with before. And yes. <laughs> with she sort of leveled up there where she was able to physically touch something. And the very key plot, you know, driven, like, moment of her having a dream that sort of gives everyone a piece of information that was really important. And she understands it, like, immediately. And and she's in quite a flow, whereas that's something that she had fears about, like, whether or not she could actually interpret her own dreams as well as her sister could.
1: Mm. Well, and what's interesting is, like, her dreams continue to be a lot more concrete than what we saw from her mom and like her sister knowing all this heavy symbolism Mm. like Nia's are a lot more grounded and literal yeah which is kind of nice Helpful for us as the audience.
0: <laughs> 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 uh, but in terms of like almost like the, the power adjusting to her as opposed to her having yeah. you know, to change herself. And we also see her like step up and, and be like, no, Brainy, you're too weak. I'll go. And she's like quite confident when she says that to do this very important task. And that's very much in contrast with how we saw her when we first met her, when she was shy about talking about her story, her fashion story, while Mackenzie was there. Very confidently giving her own pitch.
1: Which I just realized is kind of neat because Kara says to her you're afraid to make waves make them anyway and brainy specifically mm. reminds her of her being able to stop a wave yeah as a as a superhero so she like, stops tidal waves yeah yeah which is I was like ah oh, that's so cool that is growth yes and also another
0: very like superheroesque like empowering moment was when she when she attacked Lillian after she called her a dream yes. girl <laughs> it was like it's dreamer and I thought that was neat in terms of her affirming her identity and a subtextual relation to her being a trans woman. Mm, Yeah. And then another sort of empowering moment we have when she told Brainy that she is a woman who doesn't need protecting.
1: Yes. Which was really nice because that was very specifically worded that way mm. to remind us in the audience about the importance of Nia and her trans identity and her being recognized for the woman she is. Yeah. And Brainy reaffirms that in that scene. which And it was just such a cute scene. It too, really so was. It was great. Well, now let's talk about Brainy because he had a lot going yes, on. Yes, he did. He, uh, he, much like how Kara in this episode was ready to sacrifice herself, he had really kind of assumed that that mm. was going to be his fate. Yeah. And then... Nia saved him. And he really wasn't sure that anyone would because of the state he put himself in of isolating himself. He really felt like, because he was emotionally disconnected, that they were kind of like done with him.
0: Right. Yeah, and that's a way that we see him paralleled very much with Lena in terms of them both mm-hmm. being cut off and, and doubting the, the strength of the friendships that they had formed and, and finding out in this episode that, in fact, the friendships are strong enough. And in the scene where Nia forgives him like at late in the episode and talks to him about wanting to repair their relationship, he says, how can you be so kind after everything? It's not logical. Then Nia's like, the heart isn't logical. Which... It's a fun, like, little summary of their dynamic in their relationship and the way that Nia has impacted Brainy as a character and following his heart in certain situations. And I also thought the line about it, like, not being logical and his doubt <laughs> of, and his sort mm. of, like, surprise concerning the fact that she would forgive him being, like, illogical. I thought that that was interesting in terms of something like like we just talked about. In our last episode of like Brainy's past and his his how he yeah. grew up and his raising with his parents. And that felt to me like a logical line, like a through line that there was a message that he received at one point that being kind to him is not logical.
1: Mm yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is that Nia's always been in their interactions, the person who pokes at his assumptions about emotions and is like, that doesn't seem healthy, such as with the boxes and the other things. <laughs> yeah. And just her kind of cueing him to like, no, this is OK. Mm. Or, you know, the heart isn't logical. That is is a nice continuation of that emotional intimacy that they've been developing together. Yeah. Uh, you also had a nice observation
0: about the way that he thinks about himself in this episode. Mm.
1: Yeah. Well, and we've seen since the very first introduction of Brainy that he places this premium on his intellect and actually to go back to the Harry Potter things. It's a little bit like Hermione when she first comes into the wizarding world being like smart is her defining (laughs) interpretation of herself. Mm -hmm. And Brainy is so wrapped up in this assumption that his intellect is all that people see him as and all they want from him. That when he sees himself as having failed in anticipating something and in being the smartest person in the room, he immediately goes into this very negative self-talk, calling himself stupid. And we just see he undervalues his other skills and and the things he brings to the table. Right. Tying into that idea of like maybe sort of hints
0: of a core belief Mm. (laughs) developing. (laughs) Your favorite thing. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Of like caring about me. Is it logical on its own? It has to be related to something else. Like, I have to do something beneficial for people, or else I am not of value. Yeah. And that thing is being smart.
1: Yeah. So he assumes that relationships are based on extrinsic values mm-hmm. or senses of obligation that are very clear cut and like person A does a thing for person B. So person B reciprocates and right. it's formulaic, mm-hmm. which would make sense which makes sense um (laughs) yeah which is fun in terms of like that
0: not being the way that lena perceives herself and her relationship with others yes it's a very brainy thing
1: yeah well we've also seen hints in previous seasons that he feels limited sometimes by the fact that people look at him and they only see him as like you know this walking computer genius Hmm. there was a line he says about you know monel would always make jokes and microaggressions are their own form of trauma Yeah, and so I wonder what more we will get to see about Brainy going forward and kind of his insecurities and development as a character. Mm -hmm. So that'll be cool. And what makes
0: him feel powerful or powerless? Yes. And speaking of characters and power, Andrea (laughs) is certainly using hers. Yeah.
1: So we we talked last season a bunch about how the implementation of Andrea as a karate was not well thought out Mm -hmm. and maybe didn't necessarily fit into the rest of the story of the season because like her superhero powers aren't really tied to any of the other things that she's doing in the series at least it's not yet right and they they kind of had put her on a path towards becoming a hero and then crisis reset everything and then Mm -hmm. they didn't do anything with it again and they kind of started out again in that same place of like She's in this weird morally ambiguous position where she's using her powers to essentially get herself out of trouble. Right. Yeah. Andrea goes to her father's house and uses his computer to buy
0: obsidians. Shares. So he now has all the shares as it collapsed. So that's not super redemption arc esque, but she also seems to be embracing Kako as a positive, kind of powerful thing for, quote, changing hearts and minds, which are words that you might hear a hero say. So I'm curious about her mindset and like how she is rationalizing her decisions right now because you know kelly went and and sort of reframed andrea's narrative as the things that andrea has done have been for herself and like positive things in her life as opposed to for her father because that relationship was not doing well mm. but that sort of reframing only goes so far in a positive way because then everything is like very self-centered and, uh, Andrea's actions. And, yeah. As opposed to like being like maybe find nicer relationships or <laughs> something that may yeah. be less like girl power and more stronger together.
1: <laughs> yeah. And even her intent to kind of rebrand CatCo isn't motivated by necessarily a desire to really do the right thing as far as the journalism mm-hmm. is concerned. It's more like she likes the prestige of it and knows that that's what's going to keep the company from sinking under the weight of her reputation for having failed with Obsidian. So, And, you know, she's probably,
0: I think, also looking for a new sort of identity source, like Mm -hmm. something that makes her her because everything has been about her father. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good point. And now there's this like, oh, I have Kako, so let's do this, (laughs) you know. Yeah. Which is a little bit sad that Kara wasn't around
1: (laughs) for that. A little, yes. But we'll see later on, I suppose. Well, and we'll see if they do the thing that I'm hoping might happen at some point, which is that Jean might have to sneak over there and pretend to be Mm Kara at some point. I would love it. It'd be terrible. You know, just to hurt all of (laughs) us. To hurt all of us and Jean specifically as well. Terrible, but yes. Yeah. And on that note, speaking of things that might wound us emotionally, we will round out our conversation on kind of main characters and storylines with Kelly, Mm -hmm. who started out this episode much the way we've seen her throughout the season, making connections and wanting to help people. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. For Kelly, the season was also obviously about, like, believing in people and whether or not she believes in Obsidian.
1: Mm, Yeah. And
0: obviously her relationship with Andrea as her boss has played into that. So it is interesting to see her here again decide to be like, oh, she's a pretty decent person. (laughs) Yeah. There's no sort of, like, inner awakening of, like, oh, Andrea is, like, not who I thought she was. It's very much like, oh, this technology is is not what I thought it was.
1: Thank you for bringing up the thing about Kelly and trying to decide if she believed in the mission of Obsidian. Obsidian, mm-hmm. because you know I've put that out of my mind so far <laughs> that I was like, right, Obsidian was a thing. Um, a <laughs> year, yeah. But with Kelly, I am very interested in seeing what will happen with her going forward now that Obsidian is gone, because she, from what we know of her, and again, this is like I said last week, she's a character I would like to know more about mm-hmm. her life before she came on the show. She's always kind of been involved in occupations that have a very high, like, ethical center, right? And are mission focused because she was in the military, she's a psychologist, she's got a very clear code of ethics, very similar to James. Mm-hmm. But now she, kind of like Alex, is actually in this weird position where they're no longer in an organization with a system and a set of values. So, right, that'll be. I wonder, oh, then they can work together yeah. and make like their oh, okay, yeah, but kind of related to this bringing up Alex and their relationship we did find out finally in this episode for sure that apparently Kelly does not she know. does not Kara know is Supergirl
0: but it'll be interesting to see how Kelly reacts and if she has probably like a like a very like healthy emotionally <laughs> secure reaction given who she is as a mm. character
1: I mean I think my only question mark is is it going to be as explosive as when Alex was upset after Jeremiah died but in a different kind of way yeah. Yeah, Um. that'll be fun.
0: (laughs) So, well, so that wraps up our individual character discussion. In terms of the overall episode, this was pretty fun in terms of how season finales go. And one thing that was nice to see concerning just all of the characters was like this team aspect of it that was really present and and them all contributing to solve a problem in their own like sort of special ways that they yeah <laughs> and their specific skills that they have and in very much of a contrast with the disconnection that we saw throughout season five with the characters often like <laughs> secretive positions and such
1: yeah this is one where i feel like Going back and being able to watch it all together, watching all of season five and then this, it, I think it'll feel smoother. Hmm. Just A, partly because we were away from season five for so long and then to have to come back and then jump back into the headspace of like having just watched all of season five yeah. when no one's looked at it in forever. <laughs> it was very it was like, like having to like get into a car while it's already moving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit exhausting. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Plus, also, too, especially with just the way Supergirl tends to like burn through plot points mm-hmm. at the end of a season, it felt very like. We had to remind ourselves of a whole bunch of things that aren't actually going to matter anymore, right? Just to close the loops on them before we could move forward. So it, yeah. it was almost a little bit of a stagnant in some ways.
0: Yeah, it's a tricky situation because you don't want to not do that, <laughs>
1: yeah. and yeah. yeah, you don't want to you don't want to like leave threads
0: hanging open. It's just a not great situation for anyone making television to no. be in
1: right now. No, it was a shame too because I said to you after we finished the premiere, I was like. It's too bad this wasn't the finale because this is probably the best finale they've done since season one. <laughs> hmm. And it, if it had been able to air when it did, like it would have been a very satisfying ending. Like they did a good job patchworking episode nineteen to make it work as a finale. Right. But this yeah. would have actually been a really fun finale with the cliffhanger of Kara being right, stuck. Right, Yeah, the fun um, <laughs> parts of,
0: of a season finale are like, oh, here's the next thing, and then you get to theorize about it for a summer. But yeah, now we have one week. <laughs> So they did a good job within the circumstances and it was a, an enjoyable episode. Yes. I will say I'm more excited for the episodes that are coming after this, particularly like the Phantom Zone one coming mm. right up.
1: Well, and I'm also very curious to see how they've adapted to the filming restrictions that they're going to have. Yeah. Or, well, that they've been working on, but we haven't seen any of the show since they started having to film with, you know, limited numbers of people in a scene and everybody's spaced out more away Mm -hmm. from each other. Yeah. And then add to that
0: the fact that Melissa was on maternity leave, so she had to come back and film stuff from these
1: first pickups
0: later. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one other thing that would be interesting to keep an
1: eye on. God bless the editing team. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, seriously, like, any AV type of editing that has been going on in any of the entire TV industry this whole past year, like there's been so much because you can't physically do it in this in the studio while you're filming that has to be cheated with editing mm-hmm. later, mm-hmm. and that adds you know there's a high demand and a tight supply for for the editing, which then also contributes to like you know the special effects not looking right as clean as they could and stuff like that. So. Like all things considered, this made it to the finish line and it it worked. Yeah. So it was was a fun time. And it was fun. It was entertaining. (laughs) And I'm
0: maybe since the most since season three looking forward to the season. Yes. Same. So definitely. So we'll see you back next week for the next episode, 602.
1: Before we go, just a couple reminders. Uh, If you haven't filled out our listener survey, please do so. We will post the link again just to remind everybody, but it is on the main page when you go to supergirlsaddict.com, right in the bar at the top. Mm -hmm. It's also on Twitter. And also, as a reminder, since we are going to do our change in format starting next week, We are open to topics and suggestions for scenes, moments, things that really caught your attention. If you are curious for us to talk about them, please send that stuff our way to Supergirls Attic on Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram.
0: And thanks for listening.